Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome back to Shelf Stories, the channel that tells tales from games, books, and life. And also, welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast. I am your host, Jason. Thank you so much for stopping by for this latest game chat. Uh, so I have been on a kick recently. Uh, if you've noticed, uh, I have a couple of reviews going up on the Dice Tower, different other places. I've tuned it down in complexity. I have gone family friendly and uh, I have gone IP friendly. You see that over here? We got Back to the Future and Goonies. We got a couple of games peering out from behind my friend over here. So I had to reach out uh, and make a connection. Uh, he is Chris Rollins. He is the game development team lead at Funko Games and uh, also involved with Prospero Hall gaming, uh, game making project. There's a lot going on. Uh, so we're going to break all that down for you and we are going to have a good time on today's podcast. So Chris Rollins, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Jason. It is a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Yes, uh, a lot of co-op games. That's what we do on the One Stop Co-op Shop. A lot of family friendly, you know, tune it down. Uh, The reason I wanted to reach out to you is because, you know, I almost feel like Prospero Hall or your whole project is kind of like rescuing the IP game. Because for the longest time, right, it was like IP game. Oh, no, I'm not going to play that thing. But it's pretty reliable at this point, you know, going to Target, you know, pick up something that has, you know, a Goonies or Fast and Furious. And it's, you know, it's pretty reliably a decent game. And I feel like that's uh, the project here. So I wanted to get into that. Um, but before we get into all that, let introduce yourself and introduce, um, you know, you talked about it before the call, um, Prosper Hall and Funko Games and all that, all that's involved in bringing these games to life. So maybe you can break it down a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, th- first of all, thank you for all your kind words. Uh, obviously, at Funko Games, we do a lot of uh, IP games. We do a lot of uh, work with a ton of really cool licensors. We don't all we don't do uh, exclusively licensed games, but we do a lot of them. And I think it is fair to say that there's a lot of other companies uh, in the industry that are really raising the bar when it comes to licensed products sure. as well. So sure. uh, I, I don't guess know if like we can I'm thinking of all like the credit. The- I'm thinking like movies, right? So like you have your fantasy yeah. flight and fantasy flight, you know, they got the Cthulhu and they got their, you know, uh, Star Wars has always kind of been geared towards games. So like those have been a little bit of a leg up. I, I, it, if you see a Fast and Furious game, like before <laughs> 2010, if that, if that was in the store, you could guarantee it would stink. And now that is not a guarantee anymore. So that's that's kind of how I approach that. All right. All right. Well, you said it, not me. <laughs> uh, and I, like I said, I appreciate the kind words. We work really hard on, on our licensed stuff. So uh, my name is Chris Rollins. I, I'm with Funko Games. Um, I guess kind of give you the, the breakdown of, of Funko Games and kind of where it came from. So uh, we previously uh, were a design invention studio called Forest Presenting Creative. Uh, and we worked with a lot of other publishers uh, to kind of create games uh, whether it was game design, graphic design, um, acquiring the art, working with illustrators, we kind of did uh, all of that work for publishers. Uh, we were kind of like a one-stop shop. And, and the company uh, has been around for nearly 20 years, wow. uh, making games in the, in the mass, primarily in the mass market uh, segments. And then um, I've been with the company for about four years now. And around four or five years ago, uh, is when we started kind of uh, looking to make a little bit more like ho- what you would consider hobby style games. Right. And so uh, we did Bob Ross, The Art of Chill, 
uh, with uh, Big G Creative as publishers. We worked on the Disney Villainous series uh, with Robinsberger uh, as publishers. And then obviously uh, kind of carried it on from there to do um, Jaws, Jurassic Park Danger, Horrified, mm-hmm. all, all with Robinsberger as well. Uh, and so uh, all of that work was done under kind of like a pen name uh, called Prospero Hall. And that's something that if you go on BGG, you look up Prospero Hall. Right. Uh, Prospero Hall is not uh, a person. It's that person. A, <laughs> uh, a bunch of um, a bunch of folks who are just really passionate about game making and uh, work in a very very collaborative environment. And uh, in that process, uh, we started talking to Funko about making a game based on uh, some of their uh, Funko Pop figures and just generally getting into uh, the board game business. Uh, entirely is something that they were interested in doing. And I started being the, uh, the lead designer in the game called Funkoverse uh, that we were working with with mm-hmm. Funko. And then during that process, uh, Funko decided to put a ring on it and uh, acquired Forrest Roseanne Creative. And then we basically became Funko Games, which is the Funko mm. uh, sort of games division. And uh, we're thrilled to, to do it. We're thrilled to not only be inventing, but publishing as well now. I mean, we do have some experience with publishing, um, our company founded uh, Wonderforge, for example, um, before selling it to Robinsberger. And uh, so we do have some experience in that regard, but we're really excited to kind of uh, forge a new path with Funko. And it's been an awesome partnership. Uh, I mean, as you can imagine, Funko mm-hmm. has just the, a world-class licensing department. And we were already making a lot of really great licensed products. And so for us, it's just kind of a, a match made in heaven. And it's been uh, an awesome ride so far. Yeah, I mean, Funko, we know them from the Funko Pops, the little you know, dolls and everything. And that is that was converted into a game. Uh, I think people know the Unmatched series. So Funko is kind of a similar, um, diff- similar but different, but in terms of like a, a, what is it, like a 2v2 or 1v1 or 2v2, like a kind of skirmish game. You go yeah, back so, and forth. So so Funko versus is basically, uh, I don't know why they let me do it, but they let me basically make a, a miniatures <laughs> game. Uh, yeah, right. And put it on the sh- on the shelves at mass market, and uh, and and it worked pretty well. So we, we took a lot of what we uh, liked about some of our favorite miniatures games, and we took a lot of what we didn't like about some of our favorite miniatures games, and we tried to make uh you know the, a game that we could be proud of. Um, and it also happens to have Funko Pop figures in it, and right. it happens to be based on some really really cool licenses, and you can kind of uh it mix and match to your heart's content and really yeah. find a team that that suits your style or you can just play um, the golden girls like that's what i that's how i know it <laughs> the golden girls were were a pet product of mine and i was super stoked on getting a chance to make them because in my head i was like okay how can i make the golden girls uh strategically viable so that uh so some you know really uh really beardy gamer shows up to Gen Con and has to play them in a tournament because they're so good. And so uh, <laughs> we definitely tried to like push the boundaries uh, in that game. Uh, you know, some of our friends at uh, Mondo and Restoration uh, games, I mean, we're, we're uh, I'm good friends with uh, Rob Daviau mm. and some of the team over there and they're doing awesome work with Unmatched. Uh, and we do get the comparison a lot, um, but I think the games are, are pretty uh, unique. Uh, aside from the kind of crossover of the IPs and stuff, um, the games are pretty different and they're sure. both cool. I have my fun- my unmatched collection uh, up there in my closet right now. All right. Very cool. So this is the one kind of co-op shop. Our audience is interested in the cooperative games that you have produced. You produced a couple, uh, you know, these, these, what you talked about in terms of those newer forays into the cooperative space. Now I've not played them all. Uh, Cause this is, this is a bunch. It's hard to kind of get, have time for everything, but they, they're um, I think the biggest hit or the, the, the one that kind of, um, got a lot of attention in terms of that Prosper Hall imprint was horrified. 
And that was the first one that kind of caught I, my attention in particular. Uh, that game was really good. <laughs> so uh, just, you know, um, like, let's, let's talk about, um, actually, before we get into that, because, I mean, there's Horrified, and the ones that I've played are uh, Back to the Future and Goonies. So Goonies just came out. So we'll, we'll go through those that are one in a row. But in terms of kind of a high-level hobby game approach to these, like, in these properties that you have access to in terms of Funko, uh, how does that work? You know, like, you know, in terms of like, you know, you get an, you get an IP or like maybe Funko gives it to you or however it happens, like, like walk us through a little bit of the process of like, you know, you know, we're going to make a game about this. And then, you know, how we, how your design team begins to kind of chop that up and realize it. Yeah, sure. So, so it's, it's a process that actually happens uh, in a lot of different ways. There's not, there's not really uh, one set way uh, that, that it can be done. And uh, you know, luckily, Force Present Creative, before we were even part of Funko, uh, had a long history of working with different licenses. Uh, so, you, you know, when you, when you look at something like uh, Horrified, Jaws, uh, Villainous, even Bob Ross, those are all, all, those all took place before we were actually part of Funko. Funko is kind of just like a force multiplier a little bit when it comes to mm. licenses. Um, and it really can happen in all manner of ways. I mean, we have a, a team that is really uh, kind of passionate about all sorts of different fandoms. And so it might start with a little internal, uh, we have a little internal forum called Blue Sky, where you can just throw ideas out there, mm. whatever you're kind of into and you want to make games about. Uh, and so it can kind of start there where, hey, these are some properties that we're interested in, in making. Uh, it can come from a sometimes retailers, sometimes, uh, you know, large retailers will come to us uh, who we have, we have, we have, you know, uh, good rapport with. And they'll say, hey, you know, we have this uh, this spot on our shelf coming up soon. Can you make a game with this property? And we can say, yeah, let's go. We'll talk to them and see if we can get the license. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes it comes to us from licensors themselves, you know, uh, when you work with, uh, when you have a track record of working with licensors and having good partnerships and ha having, uh, you know, very uh, good working relationships with a lot of publishers or a lot of licensors, I'm sorry, uh, sometimes they'll come to you and they'll say, hey, you know, this is a license that might be becoming available. Uh, would y'all be interested in uh, putting some concepts together for some potential game ideas and, and those types of things? So it really can kind of go a lot of different ways. And uh, as a game designer, uh, I'm very privileged and, and blessed to be working with, you know, the best licensing folks in, in the world. Like I said, Forest Presenting Creative had a long history of doing games with Disney, uh, Dr. Seuss, uh, all manner of, of licenses, you know, like for 20 years or so. Uh, right. And then when you add in the, the Funko uh, sort of um, power behind that as well, it really takes it to, to the next level. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's super fun for me as a game designer to kind of be working in, in that playground and know that like, you know, nothing is completely impossible. Like some of the, the wildest licenses that uh, I could have never have dreamed of getting the chance to work on when I was growing up, uh, I've got a chance to work on. So mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty cool. Is that, um, does that feel like a constraint sometimes, you know, it's okay being the IP group or is that, um, you know, or, or is that an opportunity to kind of like, okay, I could like a problem solving exercise, you know? So it's like, you know, I'm, we have the IP, IP people. What if you wanted to go kind of outside that? Do you feel like, oh, like we don't really do that yet. It get, kind of get to go back into the IP or is it like, you know, really good and it feels good to be kind of work within that constraint. So, yeah, I mean, uh, there's kind of a lot of different uh, ways to answer that question. I know, I know, you know, for me, before I was part of Funko Games, uh, I was uh, a content creator. I, I had a podcast, a YouTube channel. Um, what, what, and, was it, what was it called? 
my, my podcast was called NPC cast. Nice. Uh, and uh, I had a YouTube channel uh, under the 1000 XP, which was uh, sort of the publishing company uh, that I was working on at the time. And my whole sort of ethos ever since I was, you know, a freelancer was in trying to create new gamers. NPC cast was a game that was uh, about tabletop games. And we, it was a heavy focus on, introducing people who uh, you know, wanted to learn about tabletop role-playing games and introducing people to the hobby of board gaming. And so when I started with uh, Forest Resident Creative, uh, it was really an eye-opening experience because now you have an opportunity to work with a company who uh, has reach to, in mass market retail outlets and also has access to licenses uh, that can make new gamers. And that's like a really, really powerful thing. And it's a responsibility that we don't take lightly. Right. And that's what it really is to us. To our, to our team, like working with these IPs is like a responsibility, not only to the fans of that IP um, who are gamers, but a fan, a fans of the IP that aren't gamers. And we see it as a really cool way to introduce people to this hobby that we all love. And, and I think that that's kind of the thing that solidifies our team together. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, my personal sort of design style and the way that I like to design games, uh, I really enjoy having constraints. And so for me, getting the opportunity to work on licenses uh, is really cool because sometimes it, it, it kind of reins me in a little bit when it comes to the game designs. And it makes you think of really outside of the box uh, solutions um, to some complex problems. And uh, if done right, and, and I think that our team has a track record of, of doing it right more often than we do it wrong. Uh, and I will mention like other folks in the industry who are starting to do some really, really cool licensed products. If done right, those constraints breed innovation. So it's not just like, oh, we can't do this mechanic or we can't cross uh, you know, these two characters or whatever. Okay, well then how can we innovate and create something that gives a, a completely new kind of experience or a new mm -hmm. take on, on a classic experience? Like for example, in Goonies. Absolutely. I mean, actually, it, it, I think in a way you answered a bunch of my questions in terms of that sense of mission. Like this isn't like, oh, well, we're going to, you know, um, these games are popular. We're going to go make them. And I think that that's the uh, sense that you used to get from IP games, right? The, a money grab, right? You know, I'm going to have apples to apples and I'm going to throw some, you know, golden girls on it. Now it's golden girls, apples to apples. And that's, that's the thing that became the, um, like, I, I, especially like, you know, you, I'm, I'm old, right? <laughs> I'm in my 40s. And I remember Atari, you know, where the E.T. game came out. And that game was literally like, you know, uh, here's six weeks to make an entire video game from soup to nuts because we have this license. Right. And so that became the uh, the ethos of like the IP game, like that kind of had that stink on it. And so, like, you know, how do you change the turn the page? The answer is like, OK, now we have a mission. We are, our mission is we are going to stand firmly in the, the gateways. Which, I mean, would you, uh, I'll ask that question in a second if you, if you call it gateway, but like where new gamers are, right? That this is where we are. And our mission is to use this as a gateway to make uh, new gamers. So maybe talk a little bit about that term because that comes up every once in a while, right? Gateway. And people have kind of a, a, you know, a mixed relationship with that, uh, that term. Yeah. I, I mean, uh... I think I, if you want to call them gateway, that's fine. I, I think that uh, it's gotten a little bit of uh, bad press because it implies sort of a, a gatekeeping and those types of things. And, and so right. for me, like we just try to make the most fun games we can. And, and, you know, the, the thing that I like to tell folks who are kind of new to our studio uh, and just in general, you know, uh, who experience our games 
which are which are all you know different like you know and, absolutely and we have a lot of people in the studio we have a lot of different we have a, you know we put out what 30 games a year or something like that i'd say we put out a, a wild amount of, of of games um but our goal uh is not to make a game for everybody it's to make a game that can be for anybody and i think there's a distinction there where it's like you know, we know that like some of our games might be a little bit lighter than someone who's really into Twilight Imperium, right? Like if you're really into Twilight Imperium uh, and you're going to play, you know, uh, one of our games, you might not get the same thrill mm -hmm. that you get from that. Uh, but what we do really try to do is just put the best game we can in every single box. And uh, it's something that we, we really take a lot of pride on. Now, I've only been with Forrest Prezan for four years or so. Uh, but the folks uh, uh, sort of who are the heads of our studio, Jay Wheatley and, and Deirdre Cross, uh, have been with and fr from the, you know, for a very long time. Jay is one of the founders of, of the company. He's been there, you know, 20 years. And uh, knowing them, uh, I, I know that they always put this type of care uh, into the products. Uh, however, oftentimes it gets overshadowed because, you know, like any sort of mass market product it's really difficult to get shelf space and it's really difficult to kind of carve carve your niche so we wouldn't be where we are today if uh our company hasn't spent the last 20 years actually caring about the quality uh, of our games and, and the products that we put on the shelves it's something that we're right. like incredibly passionate about and and it's something that we never and will never cut corners on is the the quality of the, of the products that we put out uh and over the years, yeah, that has so that has hear. paid off for us, and that has afforded us the opportunity to be in the position where we're at now because we have that track record. Because uh, licensors like to work with us; they know that we're going to put as much care into the into the game version of their license as they would put into the movie or the show of their license. You right. know, and that, and we're really we pride ourselves on that. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when it comes when you're talking about this kind of responsibility, that's always kind of been there. Um, but now we're seeing a board game boom. And so it's even more uh, apparent that we're making new gamers. People are getting into the hobby because of uh, games that we're putting on the shelves. And you can see it uh, every single day. And, it's, and it's, it feels really cool. For someone who's been, you know, into games my whole life, you know, since the early 90s playing Magic the Gathering and playing board games and uh, Dungeons and Dragons, like, it's really, really cool to see um, games kind of have this uh, resurgence. And... Um, you know, like I said, we're, we're, I don't want to, I don't, I don't think we would take the credit for making a quote unquote good IP games, but uh, we're definitely one of the companies that, that um, are, you know, giving it our best. I, I think like in terms of the, like I said before, the fantasy fight with the Arkham Horror, like I think that's one niche, you know, and uh, it makes people happy, but the, you know, the, the movies, right. You know, these are movies, like these are things that every page week, everybody knows. Uh, and the fact that they're able to have, you know, good games, uh, out of these, out of these uh, IP that that are so um, resonant with people, that's valuable. A couple other things. So um, on BGG, they kind of like track the relative weights of games, and it's gone up every single. Like the average weight of, of games that are coming out, like it just you know, they are, are like people's version of quote unquote a midway game is creeping up. You know, this should be just because the hobby is maturing and growing, and you know the gamers are sticking around. The more you play something, the have the easier. Uh, like you just kind of like get used to heavier mechanisms over time. So like, you know, the middle becomes higher and higher and also the price. So I had a big, uh, big piece on prices about a you know, month or so ago where the prices are up. 
uh, forget the shipping. The shipping is like a whole different thing. But like a, yeah. even even outside of that, the prices were creeping up. And I feel like um, one of the things that really attracted me to Prospero Hall is the weight was what it was what it was what it was. It wasn't like easy. These are real games, but it isn't like a thing that I need to you know take out a flow chart in order to teach my family. So I feel like that, there's a downward pressure that your company is helping create, and also the price. The, there's a downward pressure in the price too. I imagine being in big stores helps that, but that that feels like all part of kind of that mission you were talking about: low price, uh, easy to to wrap our head around games, uh, you know, and and access. So you know, is that kind of like encapsulate uh, the mission that you're articulating? Yeah, I mean, I think we 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 pride our we definitely pride ourselves in creating great value for folks, uh, and, and the price is part of that. Uh, also, you know, it, it's a competitive environment, and uh, and so there that factors in into it as well. And then the same thing with the sort of complexity, the the quote unquote weight of our games. I think if you look at the even the mass market shelves in general, uh, the consumer base has gotten more savvy, and people are. Um, you know, feeling a little bit more comfortable trying what would, you know, five, 10 years ago would have been considered like very like complex games. You know, um, if you look at like, um, you know, some of our stuff, like even Funkoverse as an example, like Funkoverse is like, is a true miniatures game. Every yeah. character has different abilities. There's team building, there's different scenarios. There's like, you know, uh, all sorts of different factors that go into that game. Uh, and so I think that like, it's not necessarily what people um, might expect just looking at you know the, the cute pop figures i mean i i personally think that uh, there's a lot of depth to the system um and so i think you know those things are kind of happening but you're totally right when, when you say that it's, it's part of the ethos because as i said we're trying to make a game that can be uh, for anybody and and part of that accessibility is in making games that um are uh, as easy to learn as we can make them and at, at a price point um that doesn't completely uh, turn a new gamer off, you know, like a lot of this comes down to like consumer expectations. And, you know, if you are uh, parents and you're used to, you know, spending uh, a certain amount for a, a board game, uh, you know, $40 seems like a lot, you know, so uh, even $30 can seem like a lot when you're used to buying, uh, you know, um, more mass market, more mass market like games. Uh, you know, we're not quite where video games are, where you're, where you're used to spending 60 or $70 for each one. Um, and, and so I think that we, we try to, we try to kind of fill out our portfolio and our catalog with a, with a wide swath of different price points and different, um, sort of form factors. Uh, you know, uh, so we do have games like, you know, back to the future, um, uh, is 20 i think 25 dollars at, at hmm. retail something like that uh goonies i i want to say is 30 uh but we also do have games that are uh ten dollars and below we have a whole line of games called something wild which are like you know really family weight card games that uh are are good for you know people of all ages and so those are run a little bit uh on the more inexpensive side and uh you know i wouldn't discount us doing more expensive games uh in in the future especially as we kind of re reach more uh into the hobby market you know uh rocketeer is a game that we sort of launched at gen con mm. that's a a, a two-player strategy game um that currently is only available from hobby retailers and so that was something that we were really passionate about trying to sort of get that game available so 
if you're listening to this and you, and you want to find it, go to your local game store, your FLGS, and ask them to get it for you because that was something that was really uh, we were really passionate about. Um, Say more so, about that game, like a like a head-to-head competitive type game, or yeah, it's a it's an asymmetric game, uh, one versus uh, one, where each uh, you either play uh, as the Rocketeer and his friends, or uh, the antagonists uh, who uh, are trying to basically steal the plans uh, for this rocket pack, and it's kind of like an area control. Uh, battling game has a really really cool card system where all three of your characters can can uh, use uh, different cards in your hand but each card will, might have multiple symbols so when it's your turn to activate a character you have a certain card in your hand you have to choose which character you're going to attribute that card to and so it has some really cool strategy and depth to it with the way that it plays um, and yeah it's 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 a lot of fun and like all you know the other Prospero Hall games uh, or at least you know my opinion um, the graphic design the art is you know next to none so um, you know, it's, it's definitely a, a really cool, uh, game that, you know, you can get from your FLGS. Sure. Um, and, and so for us, uh, we're kind of exploring all of those things, you know, when you look at our, our team, uh, if you, if you look at my, you know, my, my Kickstarter history, I spend a lot of money on games and I have a <laughs> lot of like very large, uh, game purchases that I've yeah. made. Uh, but the, you know, the general consumer is not there yet. And so we're trying to make, like I said, games that can be for anybody. Absolutely. Uh, so let's break down three of them that I know will be of interest to my audience. And we'll start with uh, Horrified. So Horrified came out, this was a couple of years ago. Now we reviewed it on our podcast. We did a playthrough of it. We love it. Uh, as a entry level, um, you know, I'll let you describe it. Go ahead and describe uh, Horrified. Yeah. So so Horrified is a uh, cooperative game based off of uh, the Universal Monsters. And uh, in Horrified, you're basically uh, at the beginning of the game, you decide uh, how many monsters and which monsters that, uh, you want to face. The more monsters that you face, the more difficult the game is because it's like, you know, you're having to deal with, you know, Dracula and the creature from the Black Lagoon at the same time and all those types of things. Right. Uh, and so each monster also kind of has like a puzzle slash way that you have to deal with them. Uh, so there's some variety there in, in how the game plays. Uh, and you kind of uh, travel around the board performing some you know, simple actions in order to kind of defeat the, uh, the monsters. It's very um, pandemic style, would you say? Yeah, it definitely has. It shares some similarities to pandemic in that like, you know, you're, it's, you're sharing actions. Everyone kind of can do the same type of actions. Mm-hmm. Um, this doesn't really have uh, the outbreak feature. And because it kind of has the crossover with the different monsters, um, there's a little bit more variety uh, right. in the core box th- than there is in, in the pandemic core mm-hmm. box. Um, but yeah, it's, it's super fun. Uh, it was a game that uh, was invented by our studio uh, before we were Funko Games and was published by our, our friends over at Robinsberger. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And another set has, has, is coming out or it has come out or is coming out. I don't know. We're actually, we didn't have, we didn't uh, do the, the ah. most recent one, the, okay. uh, the one that's based more on the Americana monsters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw some friends of mine picked it up at Gen Con. I'm super excited to play it. Um, but, uh, but our team wasn't involved with, uh, with horrified. Yeah. The, the first horrified was, um, was, uh, was a pitch from us to Robinsberger. And then from what I know, the new one sort of uh, builds off that system. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, the, the lead designer on Horrified was a fellow by the name of Peter Lee, uh, who also uh, has worked in the past on things like Lords of Waterdeep mm-hmm. uh, for Wizards of the Coast and uh, some other stuff. 
Um, but like all of our games, you know, it's really a team lift. That's something that uh, our studio really provi- uh, prides ourselves on mm-hmm. is the fact that like everyone in the studio collaborates on, on all the projects. Uh, and so, you know, that's kind of why we chose to have like a pen name, Prospero Hall, to represent all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's, you know, worked out for us so far. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, I, so I use, I'm a psychotherapist in my day job. I use Horrified in therapy with younger people who are struggling with fears and nightmares. So, you know, we play through the game and the the rhythm of the game is, you know, very kind of horror movie tropey, which is actually works because at the beginning of the game, every, every monster is invincible, right? You can't beat them. You have to just kind of like dodge them. And if they come at you, they, it seems all scary and everything. And I play it up. It's like, you know, you, you got to play it up with the, you know, especially the younger people get the engagement going. And then, you know, you find their weakness or you do whatever the, the game is challenging you to do. So if you're the mummy, you have to solve the mummy's curse. And it's like this little puzzle thing. And if, you know, if you're the invisible man, you're finding whatever the invisible man cares about. Uh, and then once you crack the code, then you get the power and you can go after the whatever the monster is. And I find that that's a really great rhythm to show, OK, you have these fears, you're having these nightmares, you're having these experiences. OK, uh, you know, how can we take the power back? And how can we, you know, kind of, and so I, I've had definite um, times where I've helped people kind of have um, almost like, you know, kind of reintegrative experiences through Horrified. So I know that, uh, I, I, I don't know if that's like came up for <laughs> in terms of the design space, but I was able to really use that because it just the term, just the way that you modeled empowerment in that game was really, yeah. really brilliant. Wow. Well, well, that's awesome. And, and I can't wait to, sh- uh, can't wait to share that uh, information with the team. I mean, that, that's something that, uh, it sounds really, really cool. And, and that's one of the things why, um, you know, we do a lot of different types of games, but that's one of the, the reasons why uh, we enjoy cooperative games so much. Sure. And I think that um, cooperative <clears throat> games are really good uh, entry for families who are newer to the hobby to kind of get involved into the hobby because of the fact that you can kind of have someone who's like, you know, acts as a mentor maybe it's the you know the parents or helping out the kids or whatever uh they can help them learn the game they can kind of play together uh in an environment where everyone's kind of rooting for each other um and so it's really it becomes accessible for families and something that families can feel like they do together um you know and so uh like i said not that we make all of our games cooperative um but it's one of the reasons that we love to do it is because we love to see uh sort of how how families can kind of come together around the cooperative games that's really cool. I can't wait to tell the rest of the team about that. I do. It's it it's been I've used it, I don't know, for years now. Uh, and it's awesome. unfortunately because of COVID, you know, I don't have a lot of people coming into my office anymore. Like my yeah, my my poor games. <laughs> I don't have a lot of people, but you know, and if, when this is over, when people start coming back in, it's still gonna be there. And I'm look, look forward to trying the the American version as well. Uh, so then a couple more games before we uh, close it out. We'll talk about a Back to the Future. Uh, Back to the Future is a uh, I, I mean, I keep on wanting to describe the game, but I have the people who've designed the game right here. So please tell the people about the Back to the Future cooperative game. Yeah, sure. So uh, Back to the Future, Back in Time is uh, our take, our spin on uh, uh, a game based off the first Back to the Future film. So the, the straight uh, up first one, Doc Brown yep. with a DeLorean in front of the clock tower. Yep. Yeah. And so... Uh, so in this game, you are basically replaying uh, a lot of the events from uh, the first film. And it's really about um, sort of the narrative of the first film, which is ultimately uh, Marty trying to get his parents to fall back in love 
uh, so that he can, him and his siblings can be born uh, in the future. <laughs> and then also uh, to fix the DeLorean so he can get back to uh, 1985. And so our game sort of uh, models that arc. Uh, you are back in time. Uh, you have your uh, different uh, characters you can play as. You can play as uh, Marty, Einstein, uh, Doc Brown, uh, or Jennifer. And uh, each one has sort of different strengths and weaknesses. And you go around Hill Valley and you're trying to uh, basically solve problems as they pop up. And you're trying to kind of coerce Marty's parents to uh, get kind of getting back together uh, mm -hmm. and falling back in love. And in the meantime, uh, uh, that jerk Biff, Biff is trying to, trying to get in the way. <laughs> He's trying to get in the way. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, you have a, it's a dice uh, system. And uh, unfortunately, there's some Biff symbols on those dice, which uh, people seem to really hate, which is cool because it's Biff, of course. Too many uh, Biff symbols. I think that each die has, what, two Biff faces on there? I, I'm not sure how many uh, there are. But too uh, many. <laughs> I can tell you in testing, uh, no matter how few or how many there are, it seems like there's too many. There's too many biffs. Um, but uh, but like yeah, biff, and you can yeah. If you play like a, a Burger Brothers type, you know, so like with the guard that's running around, it's it's basically Terminator. So like Biff is walking around as Terminator. Like you can kind of slow him down a little bit, yeah. but you can't stop him. And the way that the there's an event card because uh, I, I just played it uh, this past weekend with a friend, mm -hmm. and the way the event card just came out like it was just Biff all the time. And you know I'm I'm, I'm gonna put together my parents and I'm gonna do a blow up the love meter, do whatever I do there, and then the event come comes out and here comes Biff to break him up and uh, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and it was, you know, like. Like with the horrified monsters where, you know, at, or that, at that beginning of the game, horrified monsters were like, it's this force of nature that you can't do anything about. And it's just like you, 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 you never feel really powerful. You're always kind of running. And I, I love I love that sense. Like, I don't know if that is something that is you play with as a design philosophy or just kind of emerge from the IPs themselves. But the idea that like we are, you know, this isn't these aren't like heroes that we're playing these games. We're playing like real people who are just running from problems and we're going to try to solve it from the very end. Is that like a, a, an intentional design philosophy? Yeah, I mean, in this particular game, uh, it kind of was. I mean, they never really truly... It's not like... Biff is more of just like... Almost like this like existential threat yeah. that is just always there. And uh, he's never really uh, defeated per se. I mean, you, you can knock him down. Uh, you can, you know, sock them in the face. Uh, sometimes you got to do that to bullies, I guess. But uh, and you can kind of keep them away from from uh, Marty's parents. But ultimately, it's not it's not about defeating Biff. That's not like the goal of the right. game. It's more of he's like an environmental factor. Uh, so in that game, it was it was kind of like that. Um, you know, in in Goonies, uh, it's a different type of vibe. You know, because mm -hmm. the the from in in the world of the Goonies, uh, those kids feel like they're they feel like truly like they're the heroes of the story you know and right. so we want to try to convey that in the in the tone um oh, we'll get back to goonies in just a second okay cool, i cool. really enjoy goonies just a, one more question about back sure. to the future yeah, yeah. uh so this was one where i noticed that okay this, i'm playing a hobby game now right i mean i mean i guess in, in horrified is they, i'm you know i'm playing a hobby game too but like you know when you're playing a, like a, a mass market game it's like okay i get actions i move my character and it's like easy right in back to the future it's this uh tile system and you know you have to you, you you start your turn you don't i mean you have as many actions as you have tiles which which first of all is not something that you know people are used to 
you know, so that's a little bit of a step up. Okay. My action economy, quote unquote, is like how many tiles I have. And I could use my, and those are multi-use tiles. So like I can either get dice to accomplish the things or I can move. So now I have these choices of, you know, this, this management little thing. And it's not overwhelming, but it's still like, you know, kind of breaking the mold a little bit. So, I mean, I guess just in general, how do you decide what kind of, you know, action mechanism to put in each particular game? Because like that doesn't necessarily scream back to the future, but it felt cool. So like, I, I don't know, tell me, walk me through the process of like deciding uh, what, you know, what there's going to be a dice game with these tile things. There's going to be a deck build. There's going to be a, all these little like, you know, tools that game designers have in the box. How do you match that to the IP? Yeah. So, so generally uh, in our, our, the process of how we sort of get the designs going at our studio uh, has, has shifted slightly over the, over the few uh, past few years. Um, but generally uh, every sort of design or every opportunity, I guess, to design a, a game is kind of put forth to the team. And we're all able to kind of riff off each other and, and, and throw ideas in, into uh, the kind of the pot to see what happens. Uh, and in some cases, uh, some games might be assigned more directly. Like it, we'll look at, you know, all the designers in the, in the studio and say, okay, like um, Brian Kirk was the lead designer in Back to the Future. So, you know, maybe it's like, oh, hey, Brian is just wrapping up this game. He has some bandwidth. He can kind of work on a Back to the Future concept uh, or, um, or uh, Nate Weissman also worked uh, on that game as a co co-lead with Brian, maybe, maybe Nate had some time to kind of work on those types of things. So that can kind of lead to one direction. There's another kind of philosophy in our studio, which is if, um, if possible, we'll just have a big brainstorm session where everyone will kind of like throw ideas out there. And at the end of that session, you might have three different ideas and everyone will go and kind of make a prototype and then we'll bring them all back and we'll, mm. we'll play through them and see kind of what resonates. Interesting. Um, but something that's interesting, and, and this is kind of, uh, I guess, uh, if there's folks you know listening who are who are just interested about the 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 process of making mass market games, you know uh, it's funny that you mentioned the the sort of the way that we choose actions in Back to the Future, um, because there's a lot of things that we as gamers, uh, having you know shelves of games behind us, both you and I have shelves sure. of games behind us. There's a lot of things we take for granted, right? And uh, you use the term action economy, mm -hmm. and I think as gamers we know what that is. Right. But if this is your first game that you've really played that's like more of a hobby style game, you don't have a concept of action economy. And what we have found is occasionally um, having a menu of actions that you get to choose from, like a like a pandemic style menu or even like a horrified style menu, um, can be a bit overwhelming and sometimes can be confusing. And so in Back to the Future, we developed this tile system to basically always show you in front of you, here's the dice that you get to use on your turn. So while there are decisions about how to spend those dice and whether, whether you want to help other people with those dice and, and how you want to do those things, uh, you always kind of have like what you can do right in front of you. And you don't have to like, remember this, like, you know, these, these complex, mm -hmm. uh, tr it's like you if know, I discard a card here, I can move there. And yeah. Right. And so, so it gives you a little bit more of something that's like tangible and tactile to, to play with. Um, again, it's not that we always go that, that direction, um, but it's something that we, we're constantly trying to explore because a lot of the things, like I said, that, that we as gamers take for granted uh, is just going to be completely anathema to what people are used to in their, in the, their other games. Sure. I mean, I, I, it's funny that you put it that way because it because I'm used to 
having actions, having a menu with which I can kind of plug in those actions. Uh, I found the tile system. I was like, oh, that's different. Is, is that going to catch on or whatever? But you, you come in from the opposite perspective. It's like, okay, this is actually easier for somebody who doesn't know the action menu approach. And totally. it's like, you know, can I, now that I can see it, it's like, okay, I have five tiles. I can do five things on my turn. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I guess in my head, I wouldn't think that would be an intuitive thing. But if your head is kind of clean, then maybe that's a little bit more intuitive to people. Is that something that you found? Yeah, it's actually really interesting. And we really pride ourselves on, you know, our, our playtest scene. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, kind of was the bread and butter for our studio for, like I said, 20 years is we have a really robust database of uh, playtesters in the local Seattle area that, uh, and we really pride ourselves on our, on our playtesting and our iteration and sort of, um, it's really cool as a designer if I can I can go to our playtest team and say, hey, you know, I need a family with uh, a son and a daughter between ages eight and twelve, and they can nice. find a playtest family and get me a playtest with with that family. You know, so we have a lot of uh, we're, we're fortunate to have those resources at, at our disposal. Uh, but you're totally right with, with when it comes to things like this, it really is a is a is a tough balance because on one end of the spectrum, uh, you have something that's completely familiar. And in some ways it could be derivative, right? So like if I was to make a cooperative game and let's say I, I modeled, it, modeled it after uh, Horrified and I was gonna say, okay, on your turn, you have access to these four actions and you can do, you know, you can do these things, okay? Uh, and I give that to someone who knows Horrified and say, hey, yeah, it's just like Horrified. You get these four actions and they're like, mm -hmm. okay, cool, I got it. If I change one thing or if I w decide to innovate on that system, uh, any change I make to it, becomes a possible a possible uh, instance where someone might be confused and it might trip them up sure. because now it's no longer familiar. It's close enough to familiar to kind of fool them into thinking they know mm -hmm. how to play it, but it's different enough that it can be confusing. And so that's one of the things that's really difficult with, with just innovation in general in, in games is trying to bridge that gap between something that's familiar and feels like intuitive, but not allowing your preconceived notions of, of how you think the way things should work uh, actually works. So, so it's, a, it's a really big challenge, and it's one of the fun things about working on, on Max Market Games. And um, one of the great things with you know, being a part of a studio that has this, this, this track record is we have folks who have been in this industry for a long time. And you know, when I was a hobby game designer before I came here, I wouldn't have considered things like that. I wouldn't have considered that, oh, hey, if I, coming up with a new system that kind of doesn't force people to remember a menu of actions might actually be easier to play with, even though it's not something that I personally would be used to. Um, and those types of things are really fun to figure out. I'd love that. I love, I, I totally, now that you've said that, I'm like, I want to play it again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we lost in the last turn and, you know, it was a very thrilling yeah. and all kind of stuff. So it was, it's great. Uh, it's a really a, a solid little game, uh, Back to the Future about Back in Time. There's been, a, there's a couple of versions of Back to the Future, but Back to Time is the one that I definitely recommend. Not just because Chris, I have Chris sitting here. No, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. It's uh, back. Yeah. Back in Time is the one it's, and it's one of, it was one of our first like kind of first year launch titles as Funko Games. Right. So, you know, we got to publish that uh, and yeah, it turned out really good. Very cool. Uh, and so the last one we'll talk about, the one that I've played, like it, you see Fast and Furious and Villainous. I actually have not played Villainous, even though there's a whole bunch of it out there. It's the kind of game that I would want to play, but there isn't an official solo mode. 
So, I mean, I don't have a lot of like, you know, capacity to play multiplayer games, unfortunately. Um, work on that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, anyway, so Goonies, Goonies was one that I, I picked up because of, I mean, the IP, um, you know, right in my wheelhouse in terms of, you know, what I was growing up with, um, the price, you know, I mean, 30 bucks. And you, you take it off the shelf and it's actually heavy. Like it's it, really heavy. It's really yeah. heavy. Like what? Yeah, <laughs> we literally like it, like I I remember. So we were working on this during the pandemic, uh, and w- when we got the factory samples in, um, I, I was I was lead designer on Goonies, and uh, uh, Matt Christensen was the producer on on the project, and uh, he had he went to the office uh, during the pandemic. Obviously, we're all working from home remotely, quarantined and everything, uh, but he went to the office to pick up the delivery, and he's like man, this is really heavy. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, he's like, it just weighs a lot. It feels yeah. hefty. And I was like, okay. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, I, I can picture that. But then when I actually got to like review the samples, I was like this, we pumped this box. What are we doing? <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot, but it feels, it's good. It's a good, like I said, good value. So. Right. I mean, and the reason it's heavy, uh, it, it feels like a d game. that's that's the feeling so like you go ahead and describe it and i'll tell you what i mean by that sure so uh goonies is sort of the the prospero hall take uh on a a classic dungeon crawl style of board game where it's this hybrid of rpg uh but also uh grounded in board games if you think of games like like the one that was sort of the kickoff of the whole project was uh hero quest uh the 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 classic sort of dungeon crawl that we all remember fondly or at least if you're my age and you you remember from uh from our youth uh and so that was kind of the inspiration and so goonies became this thing where it's like you know we we thought about the the license and a lot of times a lot of times we'll we'll have a license that is possible for us to make a game for but if it's not something that we really feel like we can like do something special with we'll kind of be we're we will kind of like, let's say, Oh, you know what? Like we don't got anything. Um, Let's not, let's not make a game out of it just yet until we come up with something. And Goonies was one where we were sitting there and kind of riffing on ideas that we could do do for it. And it has this nostalgic quality, obviously the film, like it's, I mean, it's such a classic, one of my all time favorites, like, and Goonies is definitely one of um, my IP, like like Holy Grails to be able to have a chance to work on, Um, you know, and, and you just remember this sort of fantastical story that was like partly, uh, in real life, but partly kind of this this fantasy childlike imagination type thing, and it got me really thinking about this these retro styles of games. And someone kind of mentions like, well, we haven't really seen like like a mass market dungeon crawl in right. a long time. Like obviously, like Gloomhaven exists, right? And and Jaws of the right. Lion was sold at Target, you know, briefly, but it's they're not really like mass market like you know, you can play with like your kids kind of dungeon crawls mm-hmm. uh, or like, aim for that that demographic. And so we're like, well, what if we bridge those two things? Could we make like a dungeon crawl Goonies game that not only feels nostalgic because of the film, but feels nostalgic because of the play patterns? And so that was kind of the start of it. Uh, from there, we try to say, really update the genre and see like mm-hmm. what innovations could we make to uh, this genre to make it more feel more modern? Um, and, uh, I don't want to talk, I, I was the lead design on Goonies. I can talk about it forever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, I, I love this game. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm down to answer questions, but you know, for example, there are things like the, the board, when you open up the board, uh, and you set up an adventure, there's nine <clears throat> adventures in, in the game. And I don't think this is too much of a spoiler, but the first three adventures take you through the scenes from the film and then adventures four through nine 
branch off into a sort of a new storyline right. that extends beyond the film. Um, and each adventure, uh, you have a uh, goondocks master who will set up the adventure and kind of play as the NPCs, the, the, the foes. Uh, and they'll set everything up. They have a, a GM screen. It's one versus many games. If people, yep. they, I know we, we throw out these terms. So it's like, you know, there's one player and then there's a team of the rest of the players. So yeah, then, you totally. know, it, like it's a, it's a cooperative game, so to speak, you know, in my broadened definition of cooperative in this, in the sense, like the, there are people cooperating at the table. So like for most of you, it'll feel like just a regular cooperative game, but then there's one player who has to kind of jump on the grenade. Usually the person who owns the game or the person who's, you know, uh, read the book or whatever it is, they run the game, so to speak. Yeah. And, and, and I'm glad you used the term jump on the grenade. Cause uh, you know, as our research for this game, we, we played a lot of these dungeon crawl games. And, and one of the things that we do that's kind of innovative in this game, um is the way the role of the gm has a lot more agency over the course of actions that take place so you, you have the board and when you open the board you'll see all these different caves and rooms but you don't see any connections between them right. and that's because as you play the game the map sort of unfolds itself via the the uh, goondocks master playing down tunnels and pathways and like you know you can find secret passages and those types of things while you're playing the game but the other thing that really sets it apart that I think is really is innovative in this space is that the, the Goondocks Master has a deck of cards and the deck changes depending on the adventure. There's some cards you shuffle in and shuffle out or take out and shuffle in. Um, and every every turn, they can play cards in their hand to like add foes to the board or, or you know, lay traps. And all their cards also can react to what the, what the Goonies players are doing. Right. So in it's a big difference between stuff like uh, hero quest, which is a lot more formulaic. You know, you do have the person who's running kind of running the game for the players, but they don't really have a lot of agency over the choices they're making mm -hmm. in, in Goonies. We really wanted that the player who's uh, quote unquote jumped on the grenade uh, to have to <laughs> glad you like, resonate with that phrase <laughs> to feel like they're, they're taking part of it. No, right. I think it's true. Cause it's like, it's like, that was the big thing. One of the big things. And it's the same thing. Uh, we did a one versus many game called Jurassic Park Danger that I was also the lead designer designer on, and it's like uh, it was really big point a uh, sticking point for for Jurassic Park Danger and for Goonies um, Never Say Die. And hey, if someone's gonna be the the one at the table, we have to give them tools to make it fun for them because at the end of the day, it's like it kind of sucks to have everyone team up against you and like want to take you down. You know, like it's not a, a great feeling. Everyone else is, is is laughing at your misery. So it takes well, a very special like, type of player to do it. The roughest part about being the one is that you're not so, – in, in a lot of these games, you're not really playing. You're like yeah. the facilitator of fun. Totally. So, you know, it's like I'm – you know, I'm doing things and like – like, and so, in, you know, like you, as you described – you know, in Goonies, you are you have your little screen and you're putting down the, the, the tunnels and you're, you know, you're, you're shorting out your monsters. It would have been really easy to be like, OK, you are the facilitator of fun, throw them monsters and then, you know, but secretly kind of root for the, you know, the team and everything like that. Yeah. I definitely felt like, you know, I was, you know, because I was the one <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I did feel like I was competing against yeah. the and that's what I, that's what i want that's all i want out of a once versus many game you know because in a lot of games even like descent got this way where i'm you know i it, I would almost like ruin the fun of everybody else at the table if i won or if yeah. i went at him so it's like you know i, I this feel this felt a little bit more like okay i had permission to kind of go at the player and then you know the way you stru structure it you do you finish a scenario if the gm were to win still go on there's there's like little things that happen but like you could no, you don't stop dead you just play the next scenario 
yeah, it was really important for us to kind of try to try to thread that needle. And, uh, you know, I'd like to I'd like to think that that uh, we did a good job uh, to me when I'm playing as a goondocks master, I am I'm I'm trying to keep it close. Uh, but I don't really care. I honestly don't care if I win or lose. Like I like I per, care. just pers personally. <laughs> yeah, I no, care. no, totally. <laughs> I would win. <laughs> but but that's the thing, right? Is we wanted to make a game because we knew that um, people who are not, not used to this style of game were going to pick it up, and and not used to RPGs were going to pick it up. And so we wanted to make something that the Goondocks Master felt like they could have agency. Like your goal explicitly in the rules is to like is to win, is to beat the players. However, the the way that you do that is up to you. So that if you are playing and you want and you're and you're kind of just helping facilitate and you're, and you're you more want to have the Goonies have a good time and, and experience the adventure, you can kind of lighten up as well. So it's not so like binary okay. uh, and, and you have a lot of choices for how you're 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 taking your actions. But ultimately, at the, at the end of the day, we wanted it to be fun for the Goondocks master. We didn't want them to feel like they were just stuck doing all the busy work while everyone right. else was making fun choices. So we really try to jam pack that role with a lot of different options so that uh, in addition to giving them, you know, decisions to make every adventure, when you, if you play it over and over again, it will be different. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you can try like as the Goondocks master, you can say, okay, this adventure, I'm going to try to throw as many monsters as, as, as I can use my cards to do that. This adventure, I'm going to throw out as many traps as I can and see if I can, you know, get them that I'm going to mess with the goonies, stun them over. I'm going to try to yeah. divide them, you know, uh, use the cave-ins and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And so tools. you had, so, so the, so the adventure, they, they have uh, some amount of re replayability because the cards are going to be different every time. And so that was something else that was like really kind of important to us. Again, I can talk about goonies for a long time. <laughs> I don't want to take all, all your time. Well, no, uh, I mean, I mean, yeah. again, uh, we were, I guess trying to answer like these little design questions. So it's like every, it feels like every single game was a feel that was, it, again, going back to the kind of original point of like, okay, the, the original, um, you know, way back yonder was like, okay, how can I deliver onto the people IP? It would like a game veneer. And I feel like the, what, what Funko has helped do uh, while Prosper Pros helped do is kind of turn that paradigm around totally to say, okay, how can this IP, you know, how can we realize this IP using modern mechanisms? How can we realize this IP and bring quote unquote, you know, uh, substantial gaming. I'll say it that way, substantial gaming to the masses. And, you know, it sounds like each individual game is an opportunity to kind of like answer those questions in a different way. That's yeah. kind of why the, that's really the main reason I wanted to kind of help, help talk through that. And, and you've confirmed because <laughs> it, it definitely shows in each of the products. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. I, I mean, um, I, again, I think that for me, being, uh, as a lead designer on, on Goonies, I'm really, really proud of, proud of that game. And I think that it also does something um, that, in my opinion, uh, is going to be really interesting to see IP games in the future build upon the, the sort of the foundation of Goonies Never Say Die in that not only um, are you able to play through the film as you know it, um, but I don't, I don't know how many, how many adventures have you played, Jason? Of I've read, uh, I, I've read a couple, but I've read all nine. Okay. Okay. So I had to know what happened. So, so, so <laughs> the, the, the story, right. it goes pretty yes. far beyond, yep, yep. Mm -hmm. uh, pretty far beyond the film in a way that it's I fanfic. Think, you basically get into, you get some real good fanfic in there in yeah. the best possible way. Yeah. Right. And I think that, uh, officially licensed fanfic, uh, but, but I think that, it's gonna like to me it's a really interesting opportunity to explore like okay like this isn't just a game about like the goonies 
film it's really about like what goonies is and like right. and and uh you know he really t- taps into the themes of the goonies and and the thing that i kept saying when we first had this project is is and we all have different views about these these nostalgic properties and, and they're all nostalgic for a lot of different reasons uh jay wheatley who's our you know the creative head of our studio talked to him talked a lot about how uh you know to him the resonant thing about goonies is this idea of um you know uh friendships uh being fractured and the and sort of like this impending thing impending peril of like like these are your childhood friends that you might not get to see them again you know like like you're off the move and there's like this like this kind of foreboding nature to it and that's definitely one aspect of the film for me it was about like that childlike wonder that you that i had when i was a kid um you know in in the 80s and 90s where it's like you know the woods behind my house there could be anything back there you know there could be treasure buried in the woods behind like it's like this like your imagination kind of like taking you away on these like these adventures and these stories and so that's kind of what we wanted to play up in this game is that like you know what if the story kept going and uh how far could it go and we have uh the expansion uh oh, coming out yes. uh later this year that takes it even farther so very cool yeah. all right and so uh, that we can close on that let's talk about the future so more goonies is coming and i think i saw an alternate uh like you released a box art at least for yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that it might have even been available at Gen Con. I'm not sure, but it's the Teenagers expansion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it has uh, Annie, Steph, and Brand as playable characters. And then it has three new uh, adventures that continue uh, the narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gets even wilder. To the folks who have played through the, the campaign of Goonies and know uh, how wild the story right. gets, it gets even wilder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that's that's on, on the horizon. Uh, I cannot say anything about it but we did announce uh the game that's tentatively titled jurassic world legacy Mm. uh which is a uh a legacy game set in the universe of jurassic world um and i and i am not allowed to say anything else so i'll try to bite my tongue on that but that's coming up as well that's going to be really cool and uh is that another cooperative game or or one versus many it's like the first jurassic i literally don't you can't say it (laughs) yeah it it's co- it, it's cooperative. Got it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, marketing team. If I wasn't supposed to say that, I don't know. It's cooperative. It's the WhatsApp co-op shop. It's, get our get our it's get our people yes. excited. <laughs> yes, it is a it is a cooperative legacy game. Uh, it is very cool. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty rad. Um, very cool. I just had Rob Davio on the show, so I, he he still has yet to he has not played a legacy game that he hasn't designed. So maybe this will be oh, the first legacy game maybe. that he has that he hasn't designed that he'll play. Maybe I'm but uh, Rob and I are buddies, so uh, sure. so I hope Throw he gets it on a over there. <laughs> I, I hope he gets a, I hope he gets a chance to uh, play it. He's like he's a really good dude, and and I think yes, that totally. um, you know it's it's funny because in a way, uh, you know when I was kind of getting into into game design, uh, Rob had already um uh left Hasbro mm-hmm. to uh to to do his own thing, you know, and he was always viewed as sort of like a uh you know, he was a role model in, in this type of stuff he did and, and uh, in the work that he was able to do in the mass market. I mean, you talk about like mass market, like you quote unquote mass market games, like risk legacy yeah. was like the first legacy game. And it was like based off risk. And mm-hmm. that was like, you know, his brainchild. And so like, so it's really cool to kind of like see how it's like, uh, you know, I admire him to this day. I think he's a, a tremendously talented uh, individual uh, and is just, an even better dude um and to see him kind of 
work on mass market and then work on hobby games. And for me to kind of work on my hobby games and now work on mass market games, it's like weird to see those parallels. Um, but uh, we love what Restoration Games is doing and uh, all those dudes are super cool. So Sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it, the beat rolls on. I mean, you release like, you know, dozens of games a year, uh, you know, yeah. up and down, mass market, totally other, $10. We have announced, we have, uh, we have Warriors. Uh, we have the Warriors signature game uh, announced. Uh, that is also a cooperative uh, game as well. Keep them coming, baby. Keep them uh, coming. And uh, beyond that, I, I don't know what else we have announced, but uh, we have a lot of really cool stuff on the horizon. Some signature games, some smaller games, um, some other um, uh, Funkoverse stuff as well, uh, building upon that. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, Marvel uh, Battle World stuff. Um, Marvel Battle World is like a uh, another cooperative collectible line. Um, it comes with these little like uh, battle balls with like little Marvel figures in them, cool. and uh, each battle ball you can open and play a game with. But there's also like collectible figures that you can kind of track down, and um, it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty fun, uh, and we got more of that coming. And yeah, we're just gonna keep cranking away, and uh, who knows what the future holds. Absolutely. Uh, well, I know what the future holds more of these games at my tables. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Uh, Chris Rollins uh, from uh, Prospero Hall. Thank you very, very much for taking the time to come on my show. My pleasure, Jason. It was fun talking to you. If you can change your mind, you can change the world, people. So until next time, later, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop, or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week for another Top 5 list. All right, so we are going to hit the after show right now. I, okay, I'm going to be uh, totally honest. That, that whole interview was half bupkis that is not the reason i want to talk to chris Rollins. the reason i want to talk to chris Rollins is because he's an AEW fan oh i am an AEW <laughs> fan okay all right here it is i got the pen i got the, ah! pentagon. <laughs> got the pentagon mask i am an Pero miedo. <laughs> i, I don't know what true. it was but like a bunch of your tweets i maybe wanted somebody i followed uh you know uh, just you know, pumped your stuff, but like all of a sudden, like five of your tweets came in, and it was like, okay, game designer, copy of games, AEW. I'm like, I got to talk to this man. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It's now, it's weird. How far how, do you like, go back with all? How far do you go back with the wrestling? Oh, I mean, I, I've been a wrestling fan f forever, forever since yeah. since the the early. I mean, I remember, I remember, I don't remember what show it was. I remember I I grew up in Florida. I remember uh, getting taken to a show like uh, my babysitter. Her like boyfriend uh, at the time took me to a show, and I remember seeing Sting. Uh, mm -hmm. This was back when he had like the the Surfer Sting stuff, right? Uh, the bright so, neon glow in the dark thing. Yeah, and he was like my favorite. I remember watching it was a kid. Um, it must be you know, blowing I, your mind that you're watching him now. It's like wild. Sixty one years old doing cross bodies off the top. It's wild. He had that. <laughs> he, he had that comeback match. So he did. He did the. They did like the cinematic match. Yeah. Yeah, and I which was like, always oh. going to look good in that. Yeah, yeah, I was like, okay, that that sounds that's great. Use him for that. Right. And then they had the real match. I was like, oh no, this is going to be bad. And then he takes that bump on the on the, the, uh, the on the outside. Then, then and I was up. like, 
is he like wearing like a body armor or something? And then he does the cross body <laughs> off of it. It was like, man, yeah. he can still go. Yeah, it looks um, pretty good. Anyways, uh, yeah, I've been a wrestling fan for a long time. You know, like most wrestling fans, so there's a couple of years where I lapsed out of it and then got yeah. back into it. Right. Um, but I've been loving the the AEW stuff. So I, what's the, what is the well? Uh, by the way, we're not talking about board games, people. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I may no. ask one right at the end, but like I'm just I just I need to indulge my passion because there's not that many of us out there. Um, so what was the like? Why AEW? What, what was that? What appealed to you about that whole new thing? So for for me, uh, the thing the thing that I really liked about the AEW stuff was I had been following um, uh, a lot of those folks from New Japan. I'm a, okay. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of, of New Japan. Yeah. So like yeah. I was big in the Kenny stuff and uh, all the young, the young bucks and everything like that. And so I kind of heard that they were starting their, their new thing, but I was, I was, I was someone who watched like BTE and stuff yeah. like that. And so for me, the, uh, and I, I, I'm a big fan of indie wrestling. So like uh, obviously it's a pandemic, so I'm not really going to shows anymore, but there's a lot of local promotions here in the Seattle area that I would go to like on a regular basis. Like every show I'd be at front row. Like, nice. you know, um, I actually got to see uh, the Lucha bros uh, up close and personal. Um, there's a really famous uh, video of um, Aubrey Edwards, who is also from the Seattle area. She was refing their match at a place called defy up here in Seattle. And she was going for the count one, two, and uh, then Ray Phoenix super kicks her. And the crowd goes like bananas. <laughs> and I'm actually in the background of the video, like just like my job and like, I can't believe that just happened. Cause, cause, what? Uh, Cause Aubrey is so over in Seattle yeah. anyways. Uh, but yeah, so I was, I was a big fan of Indies and stuff. And to me, the thing I like about it is like, like I'm just rooting for them. You know, yeah. they're like, the, they're, they're the underdogs and like, and they're just good. They seem like good people. And uh, you know, and, and I love the fact that like, they're giving like indie wrestlers like a chance, you know, and the opportunity. Yeah, to like the of... Orange Cassidy types, you know, people yeah. that just they, they would never appear yeah. on a major and, promotion anywhere else. And even you know, and hearing all the stuff you know that that Tony Khan did, you know, during the pandemic when, you know, when people asked him, they're like, "Hey, you know, your roster's getting pretty big." He's like, "You know, are you going to cut people?" And he's like, "To be honest with you, no. Like, yeah. it's hard to get work during the pandemic. I'm not going to." cut anyone yeah. like if anything he, he, yeah, he was he giving me. all those people work every week you know on right. dark and stuff so to me it's just like i just want to root for him you know and, and and i like i like the product and it's not to say that like it's like perfect you know they make mistakes and stuff but like i don't know i just it just gives me good vibes and it, it's a feel-good story you know to have these like this group of like outcasts and misfits who are mm -hmm. just like getting like to be creative and and make a name for themselves so that's what's why your, I, that's why I what's your them. biggest uh, issue with aw uh, my, uh, there's a couple of issues that I have, I guess. I mean, like, I think that, um, uh, I think the women's division kind of, uh, it, I, I think that it wasn't a focus early on right. and you could tell, and it, a lot of the wrestlers were green. And I think a lot of that was because their vision for the women's division really relied on the Joshi wrestlers who mm -hmm. during the pandemic weren't able to come over. And so it's like, right. it really like kind of put a, the, the brakes on. Uh, I think it's definitely getting better, mm -hmm. you know, having um, Ruby Brit. Soho there. Oh. Britt obviously yeah. is amazing. Statlander is great. They have a lot of great. And Thunder women. Rosa. Oh my gosh. She's Thunder my Rosa. Oh. Yeah. Thunder Rosa is great. Uh, remember, uh, I remember her when she was a, a hoe on the hoe train. I saw a picture of her. Unbelievable. I, I, I didn't know that, but yeah, she's great. Uh, yeah. And so I think the women's division is really uh, getting better, you know, but a lot of them are green and because of that, they need, they need experience and they're, they're getting that. Uh, I just wish I wish it was a little bit more of a focus, you know, yeah. but like, I think they're trying to, 
fix that, you know, and I, and I know that they're, the plan is to put a sort of a women's uh, more like quote unquote mid card belt on uh, maybe, maybe renegade or something like that, but, uh, right. or rampage, I'm sorry. Um, so I know they're going to kind of build that division more. So I'd like to see that more. Um, and, and I think that generally like, it seems like they're getting better at it, but th- there are some like production issues, especially early on, like, you know, some of the, the camera work wasn't like the best at times. Yeah. They, um, they, they still do this sometimes they'll quick cut during an impact move. Yeah. So like, yeah. you know, you're seeing like, it, it is all impact moves. Like it's all like the flippy stuff. And it, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're doing a box match, like, I mean, I can't say, you know, how many times am I going to see like, you know, in midair guys doing a, a six thirty and then a cut to something else. And it's just, it's, if you know if if you notice it is disorienting. If you're yeah. just there to kind of like enjoy the show like a circus, then it might not be noticeable. But if you really want to like see stuff, then it's it's hard to kind of get. And it's just just like one example among a couple of others that. Yeah, and eh. I, and I think, but I think they have you know noticeably noticeably they've gotten better at that though. And like uh you know, and it's still not as bad. Like WWE has a lot of cuts. Sometimes it's kind of disorienting. But, <laughs> but I remember like I, I don't want to talk about them. <laughs> I, I, I went to the first. Uh, I went to the first all out. Mm. Um, the one in Chicago? Uh, oh, no. no. Is it all, all out? Was all Chicago in? and then all out well, was. Sorry. Which one was in Vegas? Double or I nothing. The, I have the poster. Sorry. Double, yeah, or, double nothing. or nothing. The one no, where no. Moxley slammed uh, what's his face on the chips? Yeah. Yeah. Where Moxley debuted. So I, I, yeah. I actually, uh, me and my friend flew out to that show and I watched it, watched it live and it was like awesome. And then I went back and I bought it so that I could watch it again, like on at home, you know, with some nice. friends. And uh, there was some stuff. Uh, the, obviously, it's like their first real big show, first show, basically. Uh, There's a lot of stuff that, like, I was like, live, I was like, oh, they totally missed this, like, spot, like, on the video. Like, it's like they just, you know, because back mm. then they were even more green, but they've gotten better. So yeah. I don't know. But, but it's like, again, like, and this is what a lot of uh, folks, I think, who are just like, for whatever reason, hate, hate on AEW don't get is it's like, there's not much they there. There's nothing that they can do, uh, outside of you know something that's really problematic or or terrible that's gonna make me not root for them. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it's like the whole exploding ring thing that didn't right. like go off as planned. It's like yeah, it sucked. I get it, but like I still root for them. In fact, the fact that I I'm fans of them it makes me like empathize for them right. more. You know, it's and people don't get that. Like people, I. I like AEW and I want them to do well. Like, mm-hmm. and if they do poorly, I don't get mad at them. I just hope that they do better. Like that's kind of where I'm at with it. So mm-hmm. if, if Tony Khan were to call Funko, which I imagine has, has been a thought <laughs> if it hasn't happened already. So and if you don't, um, you know, if it has happened, you, know, you can say mom if, it, if it's happened. Already. Um, but if Tony Khan were to call, because there is an idea of AEW games division it's digital right now, but I imagine they would not be against tabletop. There's yet to be a good wrestling board game. How do you have you had ideas about how you would execute a wrestling board game? Um, yeah, I mean, like, uh, so there's a lot to unpack there. Obviously, I can't talk about like any sort of uh licensing things uh, or or any of that stuff. Um, I'm super looking forward to, to the video game, the console game uh because obviously no mercy and all the games are like the best wrestling games of all time right um but yeah i like i mean i, I think of like it, i there's a lot of wrestling games that uh i i would like to make and i think could be cool and i'm not the only wrestling fan in our studio so mm. like if if we had the opportunity uh it'd be really sweet to make 
mm-hmm. wrestling games. Um, have I, you know, thought of it as like an official part of my work at Funko Games? Um, I can't really say. But as a wrestling fan who's also a game designer, like, of course, I've thought about designing wrestling sure. games. Like, before I worked, uh, before when I was a hobby designer, I had a game called Wrestle Frenzy that was like a real time uh, uh, game loosely based off of the Royal, Royal Rumble, where it's like you're playing cards and you're trying to basically play through your deck and you're trying to eliminate every, every person had a stack of wrestlers mm. uh and you know split evenly and you're trying to play combos you're trying to eliminate them and the person who wins is the last person who has wrestlers from their stable uh still in the match so you're kind of just like eliminating everyone um and uh back in the day i used to collect uh pen and paper rpgs and there was a tabletop rpg that was wwf wow. the wwf adventure game and i remember it very well and it was a lot of fun um wow. but yeah what, what yeah. kind of adventures did you go on it wasn't really it, they called it the adventure game but it wasn't it was like you're playing like a you know a role-playing game set okay. in the wwf and you're doing right. matches uh there is also and i've had it on my shelf here uh worldwide wrestling is a newer uh tabletop rpg that's uh pretty cool and it's based around wrestling mm-hmm. and the, the fun twist in that game is that you, you play your character in-ring persona and you play your character out of the ring and so in the ring you might be like tag team like we might be a tag team but out of the ring we might secretly hate each other right and so you get to role play all those different kind of uh relationships yeah. maybe i'm hawk and i'm a real <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's all sorts of stuff all sorts of stuff i mean like is it po- would it be possible to do like minis you know, is that something that, you know, can even think, you know, I think of like, you know, wrestling so fast paced and especially with AW, they're so athletic. And it's like, you know, does that even translate at all? Or, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's, I don't know. I, I think there's, a, I think there's a lot of ways. You, I mean, I don't think anything's off the table. Right. Like, I think there's a lot of ways you, you can, you can go with it. Um, you know, for me, uh, there's a lot of things I love about wrestling. Um, I tend to, really get into the in-ring storytelling sure mm-hmm. um that, you know that's why i like new japan and all that stuff and uh so for me that's like a big part of it but there's also like you know storylines and all those types of things you know there's um you know there's like i mean you could there's economic games you can make a game or set in the territories where you're like trying to mm-hmm. you know build out your territory and it's totally like a euro game like there's so much richness to it that like i wouldn't count anything out but um yeah i don't know i like wrestling <laughs> um but yeah wh- whatever it is about AEW, and, and and i think it was like part of it is that you know they're also um i mean really like the, the, the those group of guys with with what they do with bte it was the first like real look at these people it's like yeah. i'm not a, i'm not a fan of your character i'm a fan of you as a person right and like as a performer you know and so it breaks that wall that that fourth wall and i think that Mm -hmm. like for me that's just really appealing like i like you know i and so the rest of it i can kind of buy into it and i think it's a really modern way of of looking at you know uh the wrestling business um but yeah awesome all right uh do not be a stranger welcome you are welcome back to my show anytime you are looking to uh feature something new especially if you get that aw game landing on your board oh my god <laughs> clear the deck i will have that uh feature that if that all happens up and down. you'll be the first to know 